0: Hello and welcome to TNT, the Technology and Things Podcast. Your host, Paul Ferraro, is a former IT exec and currently a technology advisor. Jeff Kruger, a fellow technology enthusiast, is the co host. They both spent many years working for a Fortune 500 company and are both passionate about leadership, technology, and the community. I'm feeling very Van Halen. It's good. Yeah, well, thanks for having me again. I appreciate it. Todd's one of my uh, favorite people in the whole wide world, and I and I absolutely mean that because he introduced me to the Baked Potato in Studio City, which happens to be one of the, used to be, and I hope once again becomes uh, open, but it's one of the best places to see live music. You see absolute legends in the size of a bedroom. So... That's
1: L.A. does inspiring. have those really cool, super small venues that are, you know, that that are good for fifty people or something, and they've got a ton of those places.
0: Well, what's cool about the baked potato is there's two shows set, and that's nine thirty and eleven thirty. The nine thirty is a little bit more packed because everyone's got to go to bed for the next morning. But if you stay for the eleven thirty show. The artists will play bonus material, they'll do cool stuff, Uh, they're a little bit more liquored up in certain cases, so I think that's the fun showtime to go to, and forget about 50, Um, I've seen as low as like 20 to maybe 30. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah, uh, Billy Sheehan, who uh, used to be in David Lee Roth's uh, band, solo band, after he left Van Halen, he did a show uh with a bunch of other musicians and they were just uh screwing around on stage uh but literally i was probably four feet away from him there was maybe 25 people in the audience and the acoustics in this place has been so dialed in from all the shows and just all the expertise that comes through that place it was incredible i didn't want to leave
1: so where where did you where did you meet todd at
0: good question uh I was introduced to him, uh, by a manufacturer partner back in 2005 when he was at Universal Musics. And we just stayed in touch. I mean, the first, the first meeting we had, uh, was similar to, uh, some of my favorite meetings that I have with other customers that are musicians in that we sat there. There's probably four other people in the, in the room. Uh, A guy that worked for him, the manufacturer partner, me, and maybe two other folks, including Todd. And we just sat and chatted about music the whole time. And when I walked out, uh, the manufacturer partner goes, "Well, uh, I don't know if I'm going to invite you to another meeting. <laughs> you guys didn't get anything done." <laughs> Worked out for me. Nice. Yeah, but Todd is a monster musician. Uh, he was in a Dream Theater cover band, and if
1: oh, any, I know Dream. Uh, I love music. Dream I just saw Dream Theater go. recently.
0: There you go. Boom. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's cool. Uh, when you say recently, when? After oh, they re- year, uh, released the last record?
1: Last year. It w- they actually played at a gig in, uh, in El Cajon. Uh They played really? a theater, maybe like a thousand-seat theater. It was it Was, was this awesome.
0: before or after the latest record they released? It was,
1: I think it was after. I think it was part of that whole record. I think it was part of that. Their Release? Tour. Yeah, yeah. But it, it was cool to see a show that was, like, two miles from my house. <laughs> no bands play near my house. It was just a really random thing. Uh,
0: El Cajon has a, a theater?
1: They they have a community arts center that they turned into, to like, a theater, a live venue. Uh, of course, it's only been open, like, six months, and then, it, of course, the pandemic happened. So.
0: Uh. I'm telling you, man. These places are not going to be able to make it. Uh, my local watering hole that has really good shows. Um, like I just, I saw Living Color there a few years ago. Uh, so they, they get some good acts.
1: All right. Hey, Todd. How are you doing? Real good. How are you doing? Great.
0: Oh, look at that guitar. He definitely cleaned up the back, didn't he? Yes,
2: he did. <laughs> is that a fretless? This. Oh, uh, what is that? Is that a Warwick? It's an, it's an Ibanez. I love the hollow
0: body too. I bet that thing sounds great.
2: Yeah, it's beautiful, huh? It's unusual. I like that.
0: It is. And before you jumped on, uh, Paul and I were talking about uh, just you in general and everything that you've done. And I, if I remember correctly, you played in a Dream Theater cover band for a little bit.
2: You know, uh, NBC—they they had this corporate battle of the bands. And NBC was one of the companies that had participated in it and their guitar player left. And so they needed a new guitar player. And so they gave <laughs> me a tape and it was a, it was a dream theater medley of journey Dixie drags, Pink Floyd and some other oh, stuff. And they said, important. if you can learn this by Tuesday, then you're in. And so I was able to do it. And so it was, it was pretty great experience. And we actually went to the rock and roll hall of fame and got to play on the stage. I remember and, uh, that It was so much fun. And then, Uh, Mattel. When I worked at Mattel, they had a company band. Toy. I remember that, and we we did the same thing. And this is pretty sad. We they had the um, they had the regional uh, the regional competition, and we won on a Sunday at the whiskey. And I turned in notice Monday, so I didn't get to go. (laughs) So it was a really (laughs) big disappointment. Well, Paul, I mean,
0: you've heard. Dream Theater and everything that Todd mentioned, to go for a few days and learn all that stuff and show up and perform and the will win something, uh, he's clearly a very good guitar player. Yeah. And that goes back to my opening. Uh, Todd was supposed to be a professional musician. And somehow he ended up being an executive at uh, some very big companies, uh, most recently now, uh, ResMed, But when he and I met, it was at Universal Music, who, by the way, uh, is in the news today. Uh, I don't know if you guys read the news about uh, Mr. Bob Dylan cashing out in a big-time way. So your alma mater is uh, keeping music alive and well. Uh, We'll see what comes out of that publishing and licensing uh, situation. But that's where Todd and I met at Universal Music, and I was telling a little bit of the story to uh, Paul. There was uh, a few other folks in the room, but I think we sat there and chatted about music the the, the whole time. So that's been the common denominator between uh, Todd and I's relationship, and we met back in 2005. uh, And every conversation I've had with him, uh, I've enjoyed. Uh, Todd's been responsible for uh, introducing me to one of my favorite live music venues, the Baked Potato in Studio City. I really, really miss that spot. Uh, So... uh, Thank you for uh, everything you've done for me uh, when I arrived in L.A., uh, and I'm still doing a lot of the same things. Uh, obviously listening to new music and uh, continuing to play the guitar, but that, that's that been the foundation of our uh, our friendship and our bond, and I'm excited to have him on the podcast because there's a lot of parallels with being a musician and uh, being an executive in technology. Uh, and I wanted to get your perspective on what some of those uh, – a common denominators are, because it's, it's it's cool. And I generally like to interact with folks that are not just uh, single-threaded and have interests outside of just work, because I think it makes you work better when you have other interests. So having said that, um, we met at Universal Music. Uh, obviously, that was a pretty cool place to work at that time, because music was still happening in a different way than it is today, and you were in the hot seat. So h- how did you go from... Being a musician, to all of a sudden uh, when you and I met,
2: yeah. So, uh, and when you and I met, it was amazing. When we were-, were instant friends, and it's so wonderful. <laughs> I know, it's, it's so wonderful when that happens, uh, and you, you know, music is a great common denominator between people. And how many people do you know that love music that aren't just cool people and a pleasure to talk with? And so, I'm, I'm really glad that we've always had this friendship. And Paul, you're a music fan, and I feel like we're fast friends as well. So. I appreciate getting the opportunity to talk to you guys. But, you know, uh, my, from the time I was 10 years old, when I first picked up a guitar, I just loved it. And it was just such a natural thing for me. And it's what I did every single day, you know, that, that 10,000 hours, Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours. I did my 10,000 hours before I was 18 and uh, I always had a guitar every day, hours a day. It's interesting though, because when you think about, you know, playing at that professional level, that 10,000 hour level it is really lonely. I mean, it's a lot of discipline. It's not fun and girls and drugs and all that. I mean, certainly not all the time. It's a lot of practice um, to get to that, to that point where you do get to enjoy the, <laughs> the spoils of your efforts. But, uh, but, you know, I just, I always love playing. And my, parent, my stepdad was really strict. I wanted to go to GIT and just be a musician. He said, no, <laughs> you have to go to a real college and have a backup plan. Like you can study music, but you need to have a backup plan. And so I did I, I came down to San Diego and uh, went to went to San Diego State initially and was a music major and it was an amazing experience I got to play in so many different settings you know playing in a in the big band in the jazz band That's uh, super awesome. super challenging you know reading just reading and uh, you know it's really it's intense and it's a whole other level of discipline and then at the same time I was playing in a heavy metal band and, and you know a ska band. So every day was different. Just tons of ambiguity, which I love. Uh, but I, it was just so tough to make any money. And so I started taking on these, these jobs, right, to just to pay my rent and pay my tuition. But Buy I new like drinks. A, <laughs> and, and trading guitars for other guitars, right? <laughs> yeah. But, um, but I, I was a welder. I did construction, limo driver. I was doing just, just tons of different things, none of which I could say I was very good at, but I could make some money. And then I got a job doing data input on a computer and learned how to type. And it was just this aha moment of going into an office instead of a work site and seeing well-dressed people that are endangering their lives. And uh, computers were just a natural fit like, like music was to me. And so it kind of started a whole other career. And I tried to do both. You know, obviously, I, I tried to continue being a musician, but it just didn't pay. Like, I, I wrote a jingle for a, for a mall. I got $72. Oh, uh, you I mean, never told me that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was, it was awesome. You I want to hear it. <laughs> 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 well, and I didn't even get to play on the recording. I said, I don't want you keep the $72. Let me play. Um, but Carl Verhein played, so I can't really complain. Uh, but oh, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, playing for 35 or 50 bucks a night is really tough. And my wife was an executive and kind of supporting us. And there's a lot of that in Los Angeles, as you know. Uh, but eventually I got a job, you know, a real job in the mailroom, again, trying to do both. And then it was at a time when they were bringing in the first PCs and it was at a title insurance company. And, you know, I, I saw the power of computers in making an impact on business. And it was simple stuff. Like in HR, they didn't have any automation. And so if somebody called up to confirm uh, employment of somebody, they literally had to go to close files and find the file. And then and it was so easy to automate something like that and to create an application. Or in sales, you know, just creating basic scale, um, sales measurements and reporting. I mean, I was like a hero. And it, was a gr- it was an amazing time because it was so simplistic. Uh, and then, of course, the first Novell Networks. You know, and being, being there to be able to implement that and then vaxes. So, you know, I mean, I think the origin story is, is not atypical for a lot of IT folks. But I think one of, the, one of the advantages that I had from music was I think you get some special skills from music that, that maybe differentiate you. I, I, I can't really say that, but for me, I could apply some of the things that I learned with music. And one of the things that I loved doing was being this this business liaison. And so, like at Universal Music, I worked directly with the business executives, and then right. I was the interpreter for IT. And it, I can't imagine a better job because I love music so much. I feel like I kind of I felt like I'd kind of sold out already. You know, I'd, I'd gone the the business route, and uh, but I, I just love being in that seat. And I think uh, I think being a musician teaches you these skills like listening and being the team player, and trying to do things to make other people look good, you know, without a lot of ego.
0: Not to go on off, off on a tangent, but one thing that I've learned most recently is there's a lot, there are a lot of technicians out there that can play their instruments, but when it comes to telling a story and writing a song, that is the genius of music to me. Writing music that people want to listen to That's the genius behind it. But you've got all kinds of guys in the neighborhood that can play eruption up and down the neck, right? I mean, that's just not exciting.
1: And I did some research, uh, Todd, so you know, and I I did watch some YouTube videos of Chick Corea, Chick Corea Band and an electric band. And also was watching, uh, Oh shoot, uh, what's his name, Amir
0: Gambino? Frank Gambale, Gambale. (laughs) Gambino. I see where your head is going down. Frank Gambale.
1: He's got some phenomenal uh, YouTube videos where he, you know, shows you, he's like, I think he's doing teaching Yeah, that's or how he's making he, money on the he's side. Got,
0: he's an instructor, like most of these yeah, guys are.
1: But the, the YouTube videos are like in 4K quality. Like, it's really cool. You can see him play and his hands move and it's very cool. So I was, I was rocking out to that before we started. I
0: actually saw Gombali at the Baked Potato. Uh, the place I was telling you about Paul literally four feet away from me I'm just seeing his fingers go up and down the neck just sweeping you know just clean and then going into this jazz lick. <laughs> I mean, these guys are on another planet um, listen I play guitar too but I am nowhere near anything like that to be able to even consider trying to make a living off of but I just couldn't imagine a day uh, where I'm not listening to music when I'm doing work, I'm listening to the classical. When we're having dinner as a family every night, I've got jazz playing. I mean, Wes Montgomery has still been my hero for the past decade. Uh, when I'm uh, working out, I'm listening to my typical metal stuff. When I'm partying, I'm listening to uh, listening the classic VH. I mean, just look at my background. So it's, it tells a story of, based, based on what I'm doing, it's telling a story of what I'm listening to. And I listen to all kinds of stuff. And we talked yesterday in our in our pre-call. I mean, I would have never guessed I'm listening to Waylon Jennings. I mean, this guy's such a good songwriter. You can't listen to it and go, I don't appreciate that. I mean, there's some songs, I can't believe I'm admitting this on air, where if I'm listening to it, like I could get choked up if I let myself go over that hill. It's that well written. <laughs> so going back to the parallels here it seems like music is the dna of todd friedman and what makes him tick and you know no disrespect i think all the stuff around you that is related to the business world that just comes second nature whereas the musicality and and what you uh were the foundations were built on is really you know uh, pounding the pavement working hard trying to make a living at Really, the thing that you really love, but then you found something else that you're passionate about and that you're good at. And you've been able to keep evolving. I mean, being the chief information security officer of a major corporation, that doesn't happen overnight. That took a lot of woodshed, like you mentioned, in your bedroom, woodshedding on the guitar. So uh, I draw a huge parallel of the work ethic to be able to get to where you want to be. So we have to play our instrument every day, or else. I'll speak for myself. It goes off the cliff real fast.
2: <laughs> yep. Calluses yeah.
0: go away, and I just can't. it hurts the next day.
2: Yeah, if I have a gig or something that comes up, it takes me about four hours to get my chops back. You know, of of wood shedding, um, it's hard to keep it together. But you know, That's you, a you short make a period look- of
0: time, by the way, for, for you listeners <laughs> out there. Four hours is nothing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but um, but I try to play every day, you know, as you do. But you know, it, it it is a lot of discipline. But I disagree with um, it being the foundational, the the fun, the primary thing for me. Uh, music is so important, and I love it. And it's, it, the the soundtrack of my life is really important. It sets the mood. And, and Amir, you are so funny. The music you put that you listen to when you make recommendations puts me in the worst mood. Like. <laughs> <laughs> i appreciate your honesty i love that <laughs> like system of a down something about it man just bums me out it's just you know the 220 beat a minute drumming you know the kick drums and um but but you know what? for me having a sense of purpose is the most important thing and so being a musician i had a huge sense of purpose i mean it's 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 all i did it's all i cared about you can ask my family and friends uh but when i started working for universal music it was after a long stint at an insurance company, at a title insurance company. And as part of that, you know, I became a program manager. I did, you know, went from the mailroom to being in charge of everything with a keyboard for the Western United States. And that's a, it took a long, wow. long time. And that is another, you know, one of those 10,000 10, hour things. But I also, I saw that my real value as a leader was in, in being this liaison and understanding business and people, as well as the technology. And I and I was never I didn't study computer science and I wasn't a developer, so I really had a bit of a hurdle, but I could certainly work well with really brilliant engineers. And that was key. And a lot of people couldn't back then. I mean, you know Or today. I, you know, a lot of people can't do it today either. Yeah, it's 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 not you know, engineers are, are wired a little bit differently and, and it's a good right. thing, but tough to manage if you're not wired that way or if you're not patient or if you just don't understand. But um, but when I was at the insurance company, I got an MBA. And it was at a time when I was still playing for hours a day and I had a two-year-old and something had to, something had to go. And it was probably the toughest decision I, I made wow. was having to decide to stop music. I mean, it was literally, I was losing my mind trying to work a full-time job, have a two-year-old and, and then UCLA um, MBA is a really demanding program or it was for me anyway. And so I quit music and one of my friends gave me a hard time about it. You know, you're a sellout. How could you do this? And I had played on his album, so he was really sensitive to this, right? And I said, you know, I am so sick of having to sell a guitar to buy a guitar. And just this grind of, you know, or working at a bar until 2 in the morning and then getting it up at you. 6 in the morning. And I said, someday, someday I am going to pull up in front of Guitar Center, I'm going to walk in there, and I'm going to buy, buy a $2,000 guitar, and I'm not even going to think twice about it. And I just, I just wanted to change my life. But when I graduated from business school, my wife bought me a beautiful guitar, and it has a lot of sentimental value. And so, and uh, and the darndest thing happened. I think my playing was better after taking a a two-year hiatus because now every note had to mean something. And I still play way too many notes, like (laughs) way too many notes. But some more of them are good (laughs) now, (laughs) and so. And so um, so, so to me, like having a sense of purpose is the most important thing. And when I went to work for Universal Music Group as a musician and loving music, I mean, I felt like I was part of the machine that could help spread new music to more people all the time and help artists. And I just had the sense of purpose every day in my team that I built. Everybody had that same passion and they were there for a reason. And there's so much to be said for that. When I left Universal, I went to a toy company and I just didn't have passion around toys. I, my son was, I that. you know, grown and, you know, so I, I was there for a few years. And then when I went to work for a healthcare company, you know, ResMed, uh, Re, ResMed started 30 years ago uh, treating sleep apnea and we were the first company to do so and we make CPAP devices. Mm-hmm. But like, like maybe eight years ago now, we became a healthcare informatics, we invested more heavily in healthcare informatics and saw how data could change what we do and how we impact lives. And so I, I, su- um, I suffer from sleep apnea, and I have for a long time. And so ResMed changed my life years ago, like before I ever thought about being in healthcare. I was very happy. But I, had, I got this CPAP machine, and I, it, it, it's amazing what a difference it made. I didn't even know I had a problem. And I remember night, you said that, yeah. Yeah, but one night I, my wife said I just stopped breathing for like a minute, you know, and then she thought I was dead. And so anyway, anyway, it saved my life in a way, and it certainly improved my life. But going to work for a company like that and having that sense of purpose again is so critical. And everyone on my team, again, has the same sense of purpose. We affect millions of people's lives uh, in a very positive way. And it's a great company with great leadership. And they have the best thing for me is that they've got a lot of respect for, for the importance of protecting stakeholder data and systems. And I didn't have that. You can imagine trying to do security at a, at a music company. It's, it's a tough sell. I mean... Um, the life cycle of an asset is very short, right? If something pops, like when M&M became popular, it, it, everything was about M&M and like these- I remember. you you, you, know, you protect assets for what? Six weeks, You know, three months before it's released on uh, back then on um, CD and then it was out. It was free. It was on right. Webster. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, it, so it was very different. Um, but I have a sense of purpose now that is probably the best sense of purpose I've ever had.
0: So you have that
2: passion. You had
0: that passion at Universal. Obviously, there was another organization, uh, that you were less passionate about. And then now you're back to, uh, an organization that, uh, to your point, changed your life, had a real impact. And then now you are now behind the driver's, uh, seat and hopefully making an impact across, uh, the community. And where I'm going with this is, uh, ResMed has transformed its business recently uh, to adjust with uh, what's happening with COVID-19, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Absolutely. Well, like, like so many companies, uh, you know, most of, our, most of our workforce was very suddenly remote, uh, you know, and that was a big change. But, uh, you know, fortunately, everything is timing. And we had made a number of investments last, last year in 2019. Uh, in replacing things like more antiquated antivirus with uh, with CrowdStrike or replacing our sim with a with a new SIM that could do user behavior analysis. And we it was a number of products that we bought at the same time. That was not the plan. The plan was not to overwhelm our ourselves with all these projects, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with my tooling. Gosh. Right. <laughs> Isn't it funny how it ends up that way though, where everything goes at once. And so, uh, so we were very fortunate to have implemented some of these things before March. And so when it was time to go home, we had to do a lot of things about remote access and licensing and VPN and all. But, but we weren't losing sleep over feeling like every single um, home Wi-Fi was a huge threat to us. And you know, we had some, some good protections in place. Uh, but one of the things that, that I think happened to a number of companies as well is, you know, your five-year plan became a one-month plan. And we were going through a digital transformation already, going through a huge cloud transformation. And we've got, we've got an amazing and visionary CTO in Bobby Goshaw. And, you know, it's, it's, he's got this great view of moving away from our, our legacy. Remember, we're a 30-year-old company, so there's a lot of legacy there. And a lot of retooling that has to take place to make that, tr- that cloud transformation. And, uh, you know, just working with people like him and amazing engineers, you know, we were able to jumpstart a lot of activities and really, really go for it. And people working remotely in IT is not that unheard of. Uh, I think not at I all. Feel really, I feel bad for people who have never worked from home, May- maybe not even be that competent on technology or that confident with technology. I think that's got to be so scary when you're suddenly at home. And, and you know, <clears throat> actually, I've kind of maybe an interesting story, but we, we rolled out a tool to everybody and we made it available. It was a password manager and we felt like, you know, we wanna, we wanna empower people and we want people to know that security is a shared responsibility. And so we bought an enterprise license and made it available and we deployed it and we saw a pretty big uptick. We saw over a thousand people, you know, um, subscribe in the first week. And we said, wow, that's, that's surprising. That's even more than we anticipated. And we felt like it was a success. And one of my team members in Germany Uh, sent out an email. Somebody had asked her, can you do some training in German? And so she sent out an email offering to do training and almost the entire country asked for training. And what I realized is that we have... Yeah, and and what we did is we overplayed the simplicity of implementing a tool like this. And a lot of people just weren't that comfortable. And so we started doing more training around it, making more training available and trying to do it in multilingual. Uh, But what it made me think about is... what what's missing, right? Like what's different? Because I don't know that that would have been the case a year ago. And I think one of the things that's missing is that being, working with people in a physical location, like if you had gotten the password manager and you just didn't know how to start, you'll probably go to the person next to you. Hey, were you able to do this? Or the, or the person that. Show me how to do it. Yeah, exactly. and, And that shoulder tapping just is very difficult in the time of zoom where you literally have to schedule a half hour to say hi. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so, so things have, things have changed a lot, but, you know, I, 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 I think it's a time to be really empathetic to those who have challenging situations and I feel guilty because I'm, I'm really enjoying being at home, spending more time with my wife. Um, it's easier to be, you know, more health conscious.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I've, I've noticed that for sure. I've been working out every day for, I think 33 weeks now, Uh, almost every day, uh, for something like 33 weeks. But, um. What have you noticed being able to connect with your team? How has that changed, you know, over this past, you know, 6 months or so? How how do you, you know, how are you seeing that happen and and is that a positive thing or
2: you know when uh, when we got the go home order, it was really surreal. And I was sitting there with a couple of friends at the office and kind of bummed thinking I don't know when we're going to be back together. And you know, this is just what we know. It's what we've done every day for years. And I thought, how am I going to work? I mean, I have such a personal style. I spend a lot of time with people. And, yeah. you know, am, am I going to lose that? Is it going to be harder to, to achieve our security goals? And, uh, and so I, I got home and then Monday, you know, kind of fired up Zoom. And what I realized of my team, only two members are in San Diego. I've got people in Germany and Atlanta wow. and Halifax and Sydney. And, you know, I've got a really broad, broadly diverse team. And most of the time when we talk, we didn't use video. It was phone calls. right? And what, I, and what I realized is starting Monday, like everything was a video. I became closer with my team. For me, maybe not for them. They might tell a totally different story. <laughs> but, but for me, I feel closer to everybody having gone through this experience. And what I realized is I, I've traveled a fair amount. I mean, I was gone probably a week, a month, and a lot of international travel. And, you know, Asia trips are tough. They've got a long tail of getting back to normal. Uh, it's it's going to be hard to justify... Traveling like that—that's yeah. a really
0: good—that's a really good point. I, I agree with you. Uh, I feel more connected with folks uh, that I would talk to on a daily basis now because I, I don't know whether it's the expectation, but it seems like out of the gate, everyone's got their video on. They—they they want that interaction. Yep, and it's a good thing.
1: No, that's cool. I—I I think that um, you know, I think that the, the whole point of you—you you can we are sort of coming into your house. Like we're looking in your house right now. You're looking into my house. We're looking at some weird uh, uh, Van Halen background for Amir, but
0: um, very appropriate does, for the discussion today. It, yeah, I know.
1: <laughs> but it does I think it does bring that a little more personal touch to you know, to to your people you're meeting with that, that we just didn't have before. You know, we sort of had that your kind of work life work persona and home persona and it's sort of blended right together now we're now we're sharing a lot more than i think than we ever had before
0: let me throw a, a statement out real quick while we're on the topic of working from home but i believe that this has made us more efficient
2: in a lot of ways do you both agree i i think so i mean i i have more time to work and and that can be that can be a good or a bad thing uh, but I certainly have to think about where, we, where I spend the time because, like, you know what, it's, it's that half hour chunk for all the meetings that can really become a challenge. And, uh, you know, n- not to mention all of the social or um, all the panels, there's so many opportunities now to spend time, so many different things that you can be spending time on. And you have to become really, uh, you have to become a ruthless prioritizer or else you'll find that you're doing things that aren't really adding value to your purpose. Uh, and it's easy to go down that, that rabbit hole. And so I think that the, the efficiency <laughs> yeah. is driven out of time blocking everything. So with so much discipline, it kind of takes away some of the fun, to be honest, the shoulder yeah. tapping is where so much um, learning happens. Like when I sit on, when I'm working with my team, I'm watching who's coming up and asking what questions and you really get a better feel organically of what's going on in the organization. Where's the confusion in a way, where are the risks, where are the concerns? And if I've done a good job of, of setting the security as a um, shared responsibility, I want to hear where people are stumbling because it helps me do it better next time or the, you know, the communication strategy. And sure. so it's a little harder to do it. It just means more meetings, right? And more <laughs> zoom, yeah, I,
0: that, that, that brings up a really interesting point, because uh, I've heard uh, several executives like yourself complain about their their days are just jam-packed, because typically in the normal world, you'd have the, the 10 a.m. meeting, and you definitely have a 2 p.m. meeting, and then you had a lunch in between, but now everything's just getting condensed and packed in, and there isn't really a break. Uh, so. I do see that as a negative as well, as much as there's been an increase in efficiency, there's some negatives that come along with it, but you know, hopefully as this thing continues and it morphs and we go back to uh, what I'll call a hybrid for uh, lack of a better term uh, we'll be able to uh, streamline and leave the bad and take the good from it. Uh, but I, I think there's some good that's coming out of all this, but I want to switch uh, topic real quick. If I could, what are you listening
2: to right now? You know, that's a great question. I, <laughs> I, listen, to, I, I listen to all kinds of things. As, as you know, I've got a pretty broad appeal. I do love jazz fusion and the vocals can be a distraction if I'm working. And so the instrumental stuff is helpful. I love the aristocrats. And, I know and, and we talked about this a little bit yesterday, but you know, the aristocrats to me are, the, are an example of how a group of people can work together and make each other better and make the outcome better because they're all amazing players and they play and they listen all the time. You can just see it. And for anybody who has a tolerance for jazz fusion or instrumental music, I totally recommend listening to the aristocrats. And again, there's a very high quality video on YouTube. It's from Germany and just watch the way that they interact. And it's so inspirational to me. Uh, But you know what? I had another example going back to the musical theme, Amir, and that is, um, you know, what are, some of the, what are some of the things that we learn from music that can be applied to leadership? And, that, and by leadership, I don't mean just security. I mean, really just as a leader. And one of my favorite artists is um, Brandy Carlisle. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and she's, she's amazing. And, and we, my wife and I have seen her starting in smaller clubs. Um, up until now, she's a pretty popular um, artist. But she started as a busker, and she's got two guys in her band who are identical twins, and they play guitar and bass. And they were street performers. And I think that that street performance makes you so in tune to what's working and what's not working in real time. And I think of Robin Williams as a street performer. I mean, you are living or dying based on how you're connecting with the, with the audience. And it, it creates great listening skills and great empathy. And I think that these are things that are really important in being a, in a good leader today. Uh, and so I, I listen to a lot of Brandi Carlisle, but I think about those lessons that they can bring. Uh, yeah, but I, I listen to everything. And, and, you know, back to your point about um, Will and Jennings, And I think one of the things, and Merle Haggard and Johnny Cash and all these oh. greats, these country greats. Oh, one yeah. of the things that they share is they toured all the time. You know, and, and even the, the 10,000 hour story, the Malcolm Gladwell of the Beatles playing in a strip club in Germany, um, eight hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, they did their 10,000 hours in front at a strip club. D- can you imagine a tougher <laughs> audience to get their attention? No. <laughs> <a> <laughs> <laughs> no, to answer your question, I cannot. <laughs> but but what, they, what they got was this, this secret sauce of what works and what doesn't work. And more importantly, how to realize when it's working and when it's not working. And I think that those are such important leadership skills. And, uh, and I do look for that in music. I like Bella Fleck and the Flecktones, right? A band where they're just listening all the time. Dave Matthews' band. They're just brilliant musicians who are all making each other better. And I think about my team and working with other teams. I think about it a lot. And I think about, I think about what does it take to really be successful? And how do you realize when things aren't working? Because sometimes if you're not listening, you don't know. And you think that you've been totally clear. And you can walk out of the room and nobody knows what you even talked about or what, what outcome you were looking for. So I, I think about it a lot. Um, but, you know, what back to answer your question. i sorry. That was a <laughs> – No, I love it. It reminded me of the time where you and I saw
0: Scott Henderson at the Baked Potato. And I don't know if you remember this, but he's like, just bend the string until it sounds right. right. <laughs> I mean, something so simple. It's like it doesn't matter what key it's in. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Just bend it until it sounds
2: good. <laughs> anyway, I cut you off. Wait, you're no, about no. to finish your thoughts? No. Uh, so, so for work, I, I did create a Spotify playlist of uh, of work music. And one of the things that i that I recently discovered uh, is Scott Thiel, uh, Um, no, no Thiel, Tim. Uh, now I'm going to blow the the uh, first name. But it's these Bach concertos with Yo-Yo Ma and Edgar Meyer okay. and Chris Thiel. Oh, Chris do, Thiel. And, and, okay. And, and it's like it's Bach music, and he plays mandolin, and it sounds like a harpsichord, and it is so beautiful and I can relaxing. See that. And so, I have that and gypsy acoustic jazz, and so like, it's the weirdest like Django, thing. Django, but on acoustic. But, well, there's newer stuff, you know, there's well, a yeah, but 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 exactly but that kind I mean, of style, okay, exactly. And I recently got a nylon string, so I've been trying to do some of it, and uh, not easy, <laughs> not easy to do. No, no, I,
0: my, I love nylon. It's just so uh, it's so versatile, right? You can you can do the metal thing on it. You can do the finger picking. You can do the classical. You can do the jazz. A lot of jazz guys actually play on a uh, nylon uh, when they're not plugged in, but. I love it. I mean, I, I listen to, and, and I'll speak for you, Paul, too. You've got a wide range of music as well. And and I think you picked up on the Chick Corea stuff yesterday. Uh, enjoy that. That's going to be a hell of a exploration for you if you haven't listened to that catalog, because he's still playing and recording actively. Uh, but it it's a mood that we're in when it comes to music. Uh, and again, going back to the parallel of, Of work, You said something yesterday, Todd, that stuck with me. Uh, Jazz musicians, they're constantly improvising. Uh, I think we're all doing that to a certain extent, right? We don't always have the answers, but we want to figure out the answer and we want to do best for our teams and folks that work for us as well as our clients. So there's a lot of improvisation that happens. And I think the more we do that, the better we get at it. But we don't always know everything and we're going to have to improvise and figure things out. And I think as long as we have that thinking that we don't have all the answers, we're going to be better at music and we're going to be better as professionals too. So yeah. that, that's my main takeaway in this discussion. And I really appreciate you joining us today. Um, it's been a lot of fun and I hope to have you guys uh, back together again um, with new experiences, new music genres and uh uh, really, the best to you, Todd, and thank you for uh, participating today.
2: No, thank you, guys, very much. This is great, and you know what could be better than just chatting about work, security, and music?
1: I love it. By the way, Todd, I have to tell you one quick story because you you said one of my big takeaways here is that Amir's music recommendations <laughs> always put you in a bad mood, and you know when I first met Amir, we started talking about music. And he started sending me these late-night texts with, like, a, a YouTube video or or some kind of music recommendation, right? I'm sure you get oh, these, too. Guys. So I click on this thing at, like, 11 p.m. And we're about ready to go to bed. It is, like, the hardest metal music ever. And, I'm, and my wife is looking at me like, what is that? Turn that off. And I'm like, Amir just sent this to me. I thought it was going to be, you know, maybe a little – more uh-huh, to
2: put you to sleep, Paul? You're not gonna get that for me, buddy. I'm
1: sorry. <laughs> well, uh, or it can be six a.m. Same thing, you know. Boom, you get this heavy metal. So I, 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 I totally relate with with that. Is sometimes the the music recommendations are That's hilarious. Funny.
2: That's what soothes <laughs> me. I like it. <laughs> it's relaxing. That sounds like a whole other topic of a podcast, but maybe a a psychology one. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome talk. Thank you guys very much. Great to see you again. Absolutely. Take care. Yeah.
1: Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot.